Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into this episode of Rocks to Roots. Now, before we get into the episode, we just want to take a moment to say that our thoughts and prayers are with all that have been affected by the devastating wildfires here in our region and on the West Coast, specifically the residents in Malden, Pine City, and Davenport, Washington. It is so sad to know how fast these wildfires spread and all that they took with them. So with that said, we wanted to bring attention to some of the ways that you can donate to help the families that have lost their homes or have been displaced. We know that Red Cross, of course, is accepting financial donations for the Washington wildfires. United Way has established a relief fund for Whitman County. And a company called Project Beauty Share is asking for donations of hygiene such as shampoo, toothbrushes, soap, razors, etc., in which they will deliver to families who have lost their homes. We will make sure and link all of these resources on our Rocks to Roots Facebook page. And we ask that if any of you listeners have any other great resources to please share on our page as well. It's so important for us to come together as a community and help those in need at this time. And I'd like to quote that we can't build our own future without helping others build theirs. In addition, I also want to make sure that our Spokane County listeners know that they can sign up for a free FireWise risk assessment with the Spokane Conservation District. All you need to do is go to scc.org firewise to sign up today, or you can give them a call at 509-535-7274. A district forester will visit your property for approximately one hour and will provide you with a list of practical ways to lessen your wildfire risk. We will also make sure and link that resource on our Rocks to Roost Facebook page as well. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Hey, Brennan. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, except for all this smoke in the air. Yeah, it's it's very it's very smoky. It's it's very hazy, and I I'm I'm kind of tired of it. I know. I'm missing the sunshine, and the the mornings are a lot colder too. Yeah, it's and I think what I'm what I'm don't like about the most is that we actually are we if we didn't have all this smoke, we would be having just amazing fall september weather yes that's true yep the seasons are changing or like kind of i guess and i guess and i and i really i one of my friends we were like two weeks ago we're just like talking about how i think we missed it i think we missed the the fire season and then it happened like literally a week later and actually i i ran I ran a marathon on Labor Day, and that's the day we had all the wind, which kind of started all this. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, man, when I was running, I was just like, this is going to cause, this is going to be terrible for the, for the fires. And so, and of course it, it's been very devastating and I just, I hope it, I hope it ends. I hope we get some rains soon. I hope we can just get through this really quickly. Yeah, I was up at Priest Lake over Labor Day weekend when that windstorm came in, and it was crazy. I felt like I was like in the Wizard of Oz, Mm. and I mean, trees going down, and we had to go get our boat out of the water. It was just, it was almost like doomsday. So, um, (laughs) yeah, definitely our thoughts and prayers are out with all of those family members affected by those wildfires that happened here in Washington. Yep. Like you said, hopefully we get a nice big downpour of rain and Mm -hmm. this will all clear up soon. Hopefully. Yeah. Um. Well, on the opposite of fire today, we are talking about water. We are talking about water resources with Walt Edlin. 
He is the water resources manager here at the Spokane Conservation District. And I have to say, I've been here for two years, but this department is so vast that it has really been a little challenging for me to really grasp everything that they do because they are involved with so many different projects and so many cool things are always out in the field. So busy, busy. Um, kind of hard to nail these people down because they are so busy. So great conversation today. And I got to ask all these questions that I've been dying to ask. I didn't realize there was so much that went on with the water here in Spokane, especially with you know the conservation of it in the waterways. I just I kind of just think it just exists and that's all happens. But really, there's a ton of things that go into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lots and lots. Well, let's go ahead and we'll let Walt explain everything that's going on in this department. So without further ado, Walt Edelin, the Water Resources Department Manager. All right. Well, thank you, Walt. We have Walt Edelin, the manager of the Water Resources Department here at the Spokane Conservation District. Thank you for taking time out of your day today to talk to us on this episode of Rocks to Roots. How has your day been? Uh, it's been great. I, I appreciate you having me in here to, to talk about water resources and some of the stuff that we do. Yeah, I'm really excited because even though we work in the same office, um, your department is always bustling and busy and you guys are always out in the field getting projects done. So sometimes it's kind of hard to like nail you down and get to ask some of these questions. So I am thankful for the opportunity that we get to do this on the podcast and get into it a little bit more about the Water Resources Department. Great. Let's get started. (laughs) So first of all, how did you first get started with the Spokane Conservation District? Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, I went to Washington State University for my bachelor's, and then I finished uh, a master's at the University of Idaho, and I moved up to Spokane. And in doing so, I found a job in Idaho, uh, working for the conservation districts over there. I actually worked for the Kootenai Shoshone Conservation District and the Benoa Conservation District at the same time. And I was their only resource technician running back and forth. Well, during that time, I ran into the Spokane Conservation District a couple of times during meetings. And so I knew of the district. I knew of Doug Allen, who was the first uh, water resources manager here. And I got to know him. I got to know some of the people here. And I thought that it was a a fantastic place to work. Uh, Some really great people. Most conservation districts don't really have more than one or three people. And in Idaho, that's kind of the case. And here in Spokane at that time, and this was back in the 90s, um, but it seems like a long time ago, uh, (laughs) that uh, uh, they had about nine or 10 at that time, which was huge. So that was kind of a goal for me was to get in with the the Spokane Conservation District because of all the great work they were doing, the great people that they had. And and it was 1998, March of 1998, when that opportunity presented itself, uh, there was a person that left a position at the water resources program. I applied and I got the position. So that was my first introduction to the the Spokane Conservation District. And what was that position titled? It's a resource technician. Okay. uh, Back then. And and then a year later, Doug Allen took another job with the Department of Ecology. uh, And I applied for the water resource uh, manager position and got that. Wow. So I've been doing this for 20 some years now. (laughs) So you got to go from having two jobs to one job to manager. That sounds like a great little... Much easier. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So in our first episode, we talk with uh, Vicki Carter, the director here at the Spokane Conservation District, and she mentioned that the Water Resources Department is the largest department here in our office. So can you talk to us a little bit about the vastness of this department and then also what types of programs you have in motion right now? Uh, Definitely. You know, I I get a a little overwhelmed myself at times with all of the projects, all the programs that we have going, trying to keep it all up and running. And uh, we are the largest department. I I supervise five different employees, and each one of them is unique, capable, bright, uh, highly motivated, and just really hardworking. And and really, that's what makes the department run, is is having that that central unit of of, uh, a family, essentially. Uh, I kind of think of us as a family, you know, from 
Charlie and me being the grumpy old parents uh, to you know us having some of the millennial kids. Um, but uh, it just works out great, and I think that we all enjoy doing our jobs. Uh, and to me, that's the main reason why we're so busy with, with the projects that we have. We, we write a lot of grants. Uh, we work closely with other agencies, and we're connected to the residents uh, in our county. And this has really led our department to grow and get involved with a large number of projects and programs for the county. It's really difficult to go into each program in detail. We'd be here for about four hours probably. <laughs> uh, but I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. Uh, we help a lot of people each year with a, a, a multitude of different cost share programs as well as technical assistance. Uh, I can start off with one of the programs that we have going right now. It's called the Livestock and Land Program. And the, that program basically is geared to help livestock operations to improve their operation, make them more efficient, as well as make them more resource or environmentally friendly, uh, helps keep them out of trouble, as, as well as makes their, their whole job easier out there. Um, we have another program that deals with riparian areas, and riparian areas are dealing with uh, uh, the land really close to the shorelines, uh, around lakes, rivers, streams. And we have a, that, that will allow us to do cost share program for projects like stream bank stabilization, riparian habitat, trees and shrubs, things like that, planting. And uh, uh, we do a lot of those uh, each year. Uh, we have a huge multi-million dollar agricultural program that assists our local producers. Uh, the acronym would be RCPP, <laughs> and that's the, the Regional Conservation Partnership Program. And uh, that allows us to do uh, a lot of help, uh, a, a lot of assistance to producers with tillage practices and low-interest loans for equipment purchases. And we've, we've impacted over 100,000 acres in our area over the past couple of years with that program. And it also helps provide uh, land easements as well as forestry practices. Uh, another program we have is called the Voluntary Stewardship Program. And that one's geared towards helping uh, helping keep agriculture viable in our county uh, while protecting our critical areas uh, and keeping them intact. We have a, a new program called the Commodity Buffer Program, and that helps compensate producers in putting agricultural buffers around waterways. That program has contracted over 115 miles of buffers in our, in our area uh, just this year. Wow, wow. Uh, we have a fish barrier removal program that has opened up over 110 miles of habitat over the last 10 years. We have an on-site septic program that provides low-interest loans to help people connect to sewer or repair and replace existing uh, systems. And in addition, we do get involved in research projects. Uh, we're currently working on a wave study in Newman Lake to gather data on erosion. Uh, we are further working on a pilot project at Newman Lake on some s new septic technology, and we've installed two different si uh, membrane filtration systems that uh, can outperform the normal septic system, and we'll be monitoring those over the next year. Hmm. Uh, we have also installed two edge-of-field monitoring stations out in the agricultural fields near Spangle, and those are geared to, to look at and compare different types of tillage practices and the amount of nutrients and runoff that come out of those uh, particular fields. That's uh, a lot of good information that for the producer as well as our agency folks. Everybody wants to know how well uh, these things are working. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of a brief glimpse of what we do, uh, but it really doesn't go into all the extra small projects and details that are required to complete each of these programs. Uh, there's a lot of time involved in preparation and execution. There's phone calls, paperwork, permitting. There's really a lot of non-glamorous uh, behind-the-scenes work involved, but it, it's a good feeling to complete a project and know that you've made a difference uh, for the landowner and for the resources in our county. Wow. So so you guys aren't busy at all, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it, it keeps us hopping. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's admirable to be able to manage all of those programs and keep everything moving. I mean, no wonder I just want to stay out of your way when you're <laughs> around. You guys are busy. That's awesome. So with all of that, what would you say is the main natural resource concern for the Water Resources Department? Uh, mainly for the Water Resources Department, I, I think the, the bulk of the issues that we address are erosion. Uh, this can be stream bank erosion. It can be agricultural field erosion. 
uh, we get a lot of calls for that type of assistance. And uh, accompanying that would be planting uh, habitat projects uh, that go along with uh, planting the stream banks, planting uh, people's wetland areas, uh, just trying to reduce erosion overall. I think that's probably the, the biggest issue we deal with. We, we get a lot of livestock uh, projects that people are concerned about uh, the mud, the water, uh, and the water quality issues that, that come from it. And so we, we end up doing a lot of best management practices for these livestock operations. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's, it's pretty simple stuff uh, that they just haven't thought of, you know, of keeping that water clean hmm. and the ways to do that. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, they're walking around in, in mud and manure uh, up to their knees. Hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's better for the operation. It's more healthy for the animals. So I'd, I'd say those are probably the biggest things that we deal with. So what should a landowner do if they have one of these resource concerns on their property? Oh, that's easy. All you got to do is contact us. Okay. Uh, they just need to phone in, email, text, uh, whatever they need to do. Uh, and we'll, we'll set up a, a free site visit and look at the concern. It's easiest just to go out on site to take a look at what the issue actually is. And at that point, uh, if we can't resolve it right then and there with a plan, we'll come back and, and uh, work on that. And, and some of them are really small and easy to do, and others are going to take a lot of time, uh, funding, and effort uh, to get done. So, you know, all they got to do is make that first phone call. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you, you just mentioned cost share a little bit. What are some of those incentive-based programs that you have available for those landowners? Well, as I mentioned in, in some of those uh, programs, that uh, you know we have we have cost share and it can range anywhere from 50 to 75 percent. There there could even be up to 100 percent cost share, oh. uh, depending on the funding source that we have and the type of project that it is. So you know it it really depends on what monies uh, pots of money do we have right now. Uh, if we're working with that RCPP program, <laughs> uh, if we're working with the commodity buffer. Uh, we have different pots of money for our livestock and land program to keep that going. It can come from the Conservation Commission, uh, come from the Department of Ecology. So it, it just really depends on on what the resource need is. Uh, or, and another one is the, the Fish Barrier Program. Those are 100% um, cost-shared projects, and, and that money actually runs through the Department of Natural Resources. Wow. Well, that's really important. And I think that a lot of landowners out there might not know that, you know, they have these resources available and this potential money available to them. So that's really important that we touch on that. What really kind of is the life cycle of project? I mean, are they pretty quick to get off the ground? You are just 100% funded with grant money. So, I mean, can some of those programs or projects get off the ground pretty quickly or can they take years? I think that is uh, something that people don't quite understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it really does depend on the scope of the project. Uh, You can get there to do a site visit and say it's a stream bank stabilization project. Well, they see that the neighbor just did one uh, with us, and so they're very interested. Well, it takes a a lot of time, a lot of prep. Uh, First of all, you got to have that funding. And if you don't have the funding, you got to find funding. So that may take, uh, it could take six months just to find the funding. Uh, If you're looking at writing a grant for that particular project, it's going to be at least a year before you even hear if you've got the money to do the project. But once you get the the money uh, for the project, that's still going to take time as well because it it really depends on whether or not uh, the scope needs a design for the project, which then we have to hire uh, an engineer to do the designs. And so that takes a whole bidding process. Uh, There's permits that may be needed for the project. Uh, if you're working in the water or you're going to be disturbing soil, uh, there's usually permits that are involved. Uh, there's a cultural resources reviews. Uh, if you disturb any soil, you may need to, to have a, an archaeologist come out on site to dig some holes or, or to walk over the site. That takes time. That costs money. And then, of course, getting all of the project together, uh, if, you, if you need a contractor to actually build it, that's going to take a whole nother bidding process as well. So some of these projects uh, essentially can take up to a year, uh, mm-hmm. really, from the start to finish. Before you're, you're ready to go uh, and implement, it's going to be one year from the, the start date. Uh, other projects can be uh, fairly simple if, if they're small and easy to do and they don't have a lot of those other requirements. Uh, you could get it done in a month. Uh, so I'd say anywhere from 
a month to a year really to get a project done. So I know that it is project season right now for you. So um, can you tell us about some of the projects that you have been working on this summer and that you are currently working on? Oh, absolutely. You know, this this has been a very busy season. Even though we've dealt with COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, we have been out and working with landowners that are willing to work uh, with us. And of course, we'll go ahead and obey any protocols that they want us uh, to do while we're out there. But we finished up uh, several projects so far this year, and we've got a, a couple in the works right now. And uh, the first one was a, a stream bank stabilization project that we just completed on the Spokane River near Millwood, uh, utilizing some logs and, and, uh, and basically making our vetment against the toe of the bank. And uh, that project is now done. We completed a livestock improvement project in the Valley Ford area. Uh, that was uh, looking at some of those livestock improvements, such as a heavy use area, um, gutters and downspouts, things of that sort, uh, to really help keep that clean water clean and, and you know, get rid of their mud issues. Uh, we have installed two of the, the septic pilot projects at Newman Lake. Uh, so that's, that's still ongoing right now as we continue to monitor those and sample them. We have a wave study project that's continuing out there at Newman Lake where we're looking at erosion and and what's contributing to the erosion of the shorelines. Uh, We have our edge of field monitoring stations that are out there near Spangle where we're monitoring the uh, runoff and nutrients from two different fields. Uh, We are actually working on a a report for that one right now. It's a two-year report that's being put together for the edge of field. And we completed a, a hardened stream crossing with a producer in the Spangle area, which is just a, a hardened area for the animals to cross a stream so that they have less impacts on the bank. Um, currently, as I speak, uh, I have Dan Ross, our senior project leader. He's out working with contractor right now to complete a fish barrier removal project on Deer Creek. Uh, and this project, when it's finished, uh, is going to open up 13.9 new miles of uh, fish habitat. Oh wow! Um, yeah, those are those are great projects because you know you you go in there and it, it it's it's just decimated and blocked, and a week later it's it's done and uh, it's just a, a rewarding feeling uh, from start to finish on those projects because it's such a drastic comparison. Um, but we have also just completed a, a contract negotiation with the Department of Ecology to complete another livestock improvement project, and this one will be just south of Fairfield and that should go in this fall. And we're currently working with a producer on California Creek in his fields where he has some agricultural uh, drainage issues and where we have some designs that are being completed and then we'll do the installation uh, this year and that'll help reduce the amount of sediment that is being contributed right to California Creek. So he's excited to keep the soil on the field and and everybody else is excited to keep it out of the creek. Um, And of course we we also have uh, uh, a very p- large project looming uh, this fall for Hangman Creek Watershed. We can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. And so out of those projects that you just mentioned over the summer, has one of those particularly been any more challenging than the other ones? Or you mentioned different challenges for every project. So Yeah, there's definitely different challenges that pop up for each of them. Uh, and, you know, as, as they come up, we just address them. Uh, we'll, we have delays on the septic uh, installation out there at Newman Lake. Mm. And so, you know, we just, we work with those contractors, we're working with the landowners, and even though things might be delayed a bit, uh, we we end up finding the resolution and uh, and move forward. Uh, you know, the 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 project out for the fish, fish barrier removal, uh, we, we've run into the smoke issue, mm. uh, right, mm. that we're, that we're having right now, and, and yeah. just the hazardous health conditions, and you really don't want your staff out in that, um, but uh, so far, Dan has said it's not so bad uh, out there because they're they're in the bottom of the creek and it doesn't seem to be as much smoke. Uh, so we're we're keeping an eye on him. Um, what a trooper. <laughs> he is. He's tough. Uh, so I don't really, you know, we don't haven't had any other major issues so far this this year. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question, real quick? When you for like the fish barrier stuff, like do you do people call you and let you know that this is happening, like? On, in the waterways, or do you like f- go out and just find this? Yeah, a, a, a lot of these uh, fish barriers are made up from uh, squashed culverts, mm. uh, old logging roads, mm-hmm. and that's actually part of the eligibility requirements. So a lot of these properties, uh, 
come under evaluation through the Department of Natural Resources, and then an offer is made uh, to the landowner if they would like to remove the barrier. Mm. So there are evaluations that are done ahead of time, and uh, they're set up uh, to be eligible, and the next thing you know, they're they're getting it done. Gotcha. No, it is interesting, and that was, that's a really good question too, Brennan. Stay tuned for more Rocks to Roots right after this. Summer and hot temperatures mean it's wildfire season. Don't wait until you see smoke in the air to prepare and educate your family, friends, and neighbors about techniques you can take to prevent catastrophic wildfire damage to your home and property by using FireWise principles. The Spokane Conservation District offers free FireWise risk assessments to Spokane County residents. You can schedule yours today by visiting sccd.org. A forester from the Spokane Conservation District will visit your property to evaluate your home's risk and provide you with a list of practical ways to reduce the threat of a wildfire. Take action and ownership in preparing and protecting your home against the threat of a wildfire by booking your free FireWise risk assessment today. Yep, you heard me. Free FireWise risk assessment. All you have to do is go to sccd.org to sign up today. Looking for something to do after work or on the weekends? Well, grab your friends and family and head out to the South Spokane Farm Corridor. The South Spokane Farm Corridor is a collection of 14 farms that have a wide variety of farm-fresh products to offer, located south of I-90 along the Palouse Highway, headed towards Valley Ford and Spangle. You can pick up anything from organic produce to farm-fresh eggs, honey, meat products, and even fresh-cut flowers. It's sure to be a fun day filled with learning about today's food and farming culture. Get to know your local farmers and gain a better understanding of the quality of food you're consuming. Learn more about the partnering farms by visiting SouthSpokaneFarmCorridor.com or follow the South Spokane Farm Corridor on Facebook for weekly farm stand announcements and fresh sheets. Every year, we always see the article posted in local news about sediment pollution from Hangman Creek that is moving into the Spokane River. And so I want to clarify, too, whenever I post about Hangman Creek, sometimes I'll get a call back about it should be called Laytock Creek. Is it Hangman Creek, Laytock Creek, vice versa? Are they the same thing? Uh, they are definitely the same thing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. Uh, Hangman, Hangman Creek is an interesting watershed. It has a, a very rich history. And uh, part of that history, of course, is the Coeur d'Alene and the Spokane tribes. So uh, back in the day when they had their, you know, usual um, tribal grounds, uh, Hangman Creek was, was part of that. And, and actually it was called, at that time, uh, the, the Coeur d'Alene's called it uh, Latu or Sintutuuli. Oh. And uh, the, that Latu actually got transformed into Leitaw. And uh, that Latu means uh, many fishes or small fishes. And so Hangman Creek could be called basically Fish Creek or Small small Fish Creek, something like that. But it wasn't until uh, 1858 when uh, Colonel uh, George Wright, who was um, basically assigned to the area to help quell the the Indian wars uh, that were going on at the time, and he had just come off of suffering some losses earlier that year in, in 1858. And he uh, was then uh, pursuing the Indians through Spokane Valley. And when he did that, he destroyed everything that they had uh, that they could capture and burned. And they actually came across uh, 800 horses that the, uh, the tribes had at that time. And he kept 100 of those horses and he killed 700 of them. Oh, wow. Uh, and basically right around Liberty Lake. And so with that, uh, the chiefs from some of the, the tribes that were involved in this decided to have uh, a meeting with Colonel Wright. So he arranged this to, to happen right there on Hangman Creek at, at Smice Ford. Uh, and so when they all came together, they sent uh, Qualchin, who was one of their bravest warriors, to go check on... Uh, Colonel Wright to see what kind of mood he was in that day before they met. 
<laughs> upon arriving, uh, he was also sent there with six other Braves, and his wife came with him as well. Uh, he was uh, seized and uh, immediately hung uh, along with these six, six other Braves. And th- there's other different variations of the story as to how it happened. Um, but uh, anyway, he was, he was hung there, and of course that became known as Hangman Creek. And there's actual monument down there where, uh, very close to where it occurred. And uh, um, later on, uh, Hangman Creek was supposedly changed back in the late 1800s to Lataw Creek, officially. But the, the locals, the Coeur d'Alene tribe, and even the USGS on their maps still refer to Hangman Creek watershed. And mm. so you can say it both ways. And uh, I guess you, if, if you want to be more politically correct, people will call it Lataw. Mm-hmm. So the more, more urban people will call it Lataw, and, and, but everybody else uses Hangman. Wow, fascinating history. I didn't know about that. I mean, I knew that there was a story behind it based off of the name. Fascinating. With this article talking about the sediment going from that creek into the Spokane River, I know that you, your department has been working out there a lot lately. Can you tell us about some of the current practices that you're implementing out there to maybe to help the situation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hangman Creek is basically a, c- a career. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is true that Hayman Creek looks like chocolate milk, uh, especially in mm. the winter and the spring runoff events. But, uh, you know, some folks really don't understand the geology of Hayman Creek and why that occurs. And, of course, there's other issues that, that have happened as this watershed has developed uh, over the decades. And uh, it's, it's not just uh, – you can't just put the blame on the farmers uh, in the watershed, mm. even though it is a very large agricultural watershed now. It's you know about 400,000 acres, and uh, about 230,000 acres in Washington are, are farmed. Um, but uh, it's not just their tillage practices, and it, it, really, there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. Uh, you know, early Hayman Creek uh, agriculture was very minimal. I mean, there, there were not a lot of acres in the watershed being farmed, and the the ones that were, uh, they farmed away from the creek. And of course, they're using very rudimentary equipment, so you can't get much done in a day uh, with a, a one a, a one foot plow. You know, as your yeah. you know, they're disturbing 16 inches a time at a time there. Um, but uh, you know, the, the reports of Hangman being muddy uh, go all the way back to the early 1900s. Uh, that it was an unclear watercourse; it wasn't good for fish, and uh, you know, it, and, and that was when farming was was uh, very, very minimal. Mm. So, but as the, the watershed developed, uh, more agriculture came in, more development, small towns. Uh, they started to clear the forests uh, to make room for, for fields. And a lot of those sub-watersheds lost an amazing amount of forest canopy, uh, even up to 80% oh, wow. uh, of the, the canopy was removed. So when you do that, uh, you lose a lot of that interception of rain and a lot of that water doesn't get into the ground anymore. So you're not getting that infiltration. And now that you're starting to turn and plow the, uh, the fields over, that water runs off of that as well. So it gets into the channel, which then you get flooding events. You've basically changed the hydrology. Mm-hmm. So you're getting flooding events, uh, you know, more water in the channel during those, those times, which then starts to cut uh, the, uh, uh, the channel, uh, the banks. So that, that is a one exacerbation to help that happens through the advent of a development in agriculture in the watershed. Uh, now, these issues are compounded because Hangman has, has uh, some strange geology as well. Uh, in the lower portions of the watershed, it's all sands. Mm. And that's what a lot of people see. They only see the sands. And all that's from back from the uh, glacial days, glacial lakes, glacial lake Missoula, flooding events that came through. So you have these deposits of sands. Uh, as you move up through the watershed, you've got a canyon. You've got a lot of uh, Palouse-type soils um, uh, above that, very loamy, uh, a lot of fine sediments, and a lot of clay particles. So mm-hmm. you've also got another thing called the Lataw formations, which are deposits of clay, which have been formed through the, the old uh, glacial lakes. And so you have all of this clay and, and, and finer particles which stay in suspension for a long time. So when, it, when that finally gets all the way down through Hangman and meets with the clear blue water of the Spokane River uh, in the winter, it's a, it's a huge uh, just visual impact uh, as you have this plume of sediment that runs alongside of the river, hmm. which is what people complain about. Um, but it's been happening for a long time. 
uh, there's definitely through the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, you know, it was probably exacerbated uh, quite a bit because of all the tillage that was being done in the watershed as well. And, but that has kind of changed. I think we've taken a turn uh, in the agricultural community on tillage. So we have less disturbance of the soil. We have conservation tillage going on out there, which has really impacted uh, the amount of runoff uh, that's, that's getting into the streams. We're getting more of it into the ground. So I, I think that uh, as we continue moving forward with direct seed and conservation tillage, you're going to see changes. But these things take a long time. It's, it's going to take decades uh, of this type of work, as well as a lot of work on some of those stream banks, because we have miles and miles of vertical banks because these, these channels have become entrenched and they can't get out of them, so they just cut back and forth. And, uh, you know, forming, uh, they're reworking the sediments, uh, forming new floodplains and areas. So that's, that's kind of an issue. So you've got this, just this perfect storm of issues out there in the Hayman Creek watershed that uh, uh, will, will continue for some time, but things are getting better. Yeah, I'm kind of just imagining, you know, like sand castles on a beach when you <laughs> mentioned the sand and how that can just, you know, that water gets moving in the winter with all of that runoff. Yeah, it is quite the curvy little creek. Yeah, it's about 60 miles long as it starts way up in the foothills there in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've traveled down the entire system and taken an inventory of it. So it's, it's quite remarkable, the things that you see out there. Just read recently an article that stated that we just received a $1.4 million grant to continue the efforts out on Hangman Creek uh, watershed. So can you give us an overview of this project and how that money will be spent? Uh, absolutely. We were very fortunate uh, to get this money awarded from the Department of Ecology. It's actually $1.75 million. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. We got, a little, we got a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and the whole idea really is to focus on Hangman Creek, uh, the, the whole watershed, and try to come up with a comprehensive program that would address multiple issues that are going on out there. I mean, we have a, a lot of conservation work going on right now, but this is really going to just kind of speed things ahead uh, in the coming years. So uh, what, the first thing that's going to happen with this funding is that there will be a committee formed. Uh, for Hangman, which will involve a lot of the different stakeholders. It'll be environmentalists, it'll be agricultural producers, residents, uh, different agency folks that, are, that will, that will uh, come and help divide, uh, design a lot of this new work that's going to happen. We, we have to um, come up with some of these programs and some of the details that are going to go into them. But a, a, a great, <clears throat> a good portion of the money is going to be going into low-interest loans for reduced tillage practices. Mm. Uh, we will fund a livestock and land program just for Hangman. Uh, we will fund a riparian cost-share program just for Hangman. We will do more inventory work. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we went and did an inventory back in uh, 2005 of the stream banks there in Hangman Creek. And so this is going to allow us to go back recreate the inventory down the entire system and compare it to, to 2005 to see are things better, are things worse, are things the same. And uh, because we, we took measurements of all the erosion, the heights of the banks, the length of the erosion, and uh, all the different habitats. So we'll be able to recreate that. That'll be a, a great project. Uh, as well as we're going to be doing some other inventory work on how much direct seed tillage is there in the watershed. This is kind of a question that people have tried to answer before, and we've got some estimates out there, but we really are trying to get a good idea of exactly how much direct seed is, is in the watershed. So we'll be working with all these different uh, landowners, all these producers, contacting them, finding out the type of equipment that they're using, how many acres they're putting it on, and, uh, and that'll kind of give us a, a lot of diff different data that will be useful uh, for different, different projects. Uh, we'll have a, a very robust outreach campaign, a lot of education, and that committee will help form exactly what will be done uh, over that campaign. And we also have two large stream bank projects that are uh, stabilization projects that will be occurring because of, of this money. Uh, over the, the last two years, we did about 3,000 feet of bank at what we call River Mile 17 on Hangman Creek. So that's 17 miles up from the, the confluence with the Spokane River. Mm. 
and we had some landowners that were very interested in doing something adjacent to that project. So we're going to be doing about another 3,000 feet uh, this starting this fall. We'll be starting with the designs and, and doing all that work, and we probably won't implement it for till next year. Uh, we have another similar project, but a little bit smaller scale, on the Little Hangman uh, Creek. So we'll be looking at about 3,000 or 3,200 feet of Little Hangman Creek, where we'll be doing bank shaping and revetments and planting of riparian areas and protecting the toe uh, with, with uh, uh, rock as, as well. So those, those are the main elements of, of that grant right now, uh, unless the committee decides that uh, we need to do something a little different. Wow. So yeah, you weren't kidding when you said this was a career project because <laughs> it sounds like you're almost needing to create a whole another department to take on this project. I mean, it's huge. It, this 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 will take a lot of time. It will take a lot of effort, and we're going to have some people especially dedicated uh, to doing this project. So one thing that we talked about with Vicky was funding sources for the Spokane Conservation District in our first episode, and we talked about rates and charges and how that process was. And when going through the rates um, increase during that rates and charges process, was that SCD would be moving into the arena of conservation easements and farmland preservation. Can you tell us a little bit about that and tell us what's on the horizon for the Water Resources Department? Yeah, that's a a really good uh, addition, I think, to the Conservation District. Our suite of services is to be looking at some of these easements and and preservation of farmland. Uh, We have our program called the the Voluntary Stewardship Program, and that uh, looks at trying to preserve the viability of agriculture as well as protecting critical areas. And part of that would be helping, uh, you know, preserve farmland. Now, uh, you know, farmers, that that can be a contentious issue because uh, some farmers will want to sell their property for retirement and Mm -hmm. usually sell it to development. But there are other ways that 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 can happen. Uh, There are other ways to protect that property and still get some compensation uh, to these landowners. So I think working with the Inland Northwest Land Trust is going to be um, a priority uh, for the, the conservation district to help do the farmland preservation work. Uh, we will we'll be using it in the VSP, the Voluntary Stewardship Program, as well as our RCPP. Mm-hmm. That program also allows for easements, and we are currently working with uh, the land trust on on some projects uh, that we that we hope come to fruition. So. There are other aspects, I think, that this uh, farmland preservation could help through the district because sometimes folks who would like to do preservation, they want to do a donation, uh, something of that, uh, something like that, they don't even have the funds that it costs to get the survey work done and and all of the upfront costs that it costs just to donate. So I think that, that, you know, and it's it's like several thousand dollars, under $10,000 really to, to do that, but some people don't have that. And I think that the conservation district may be able to have a program that could fund uh, some of those types of uh, challenges as well. Well, that's exciting. You've been talking a little bit about some of the community partners that you work with, like Department of Ecology and then the lands. Lands Council, Land Trust. Yes. Yeah, Land Trust. Can you just tell us just again who are really your close partners here in the community that you work with on these projects? With the, the Conservation District, partnering with different agencies is a huge strength and a benefit to our community. Uh, we have good relationships with all the different entities, such as the Department of Ecology, the Lands Trust, the Lands Council, uh, and others, uh, Department of Natural Resources, Fish and Wildlife. And it really takes all of these people to make projects happen. We're, it, it provides for smoother communication. Uh, it, everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what you're doing. Everybody knows who, what your expertise is. And so we can contact somebody uh, about their expertise and partner uh, for grants uh, to you know, other types of funding that's available. But really just having that, um, that network is a, a huge benefit to us I think, to the whole conservation community here in Spokane. Yeah, very important. And I have to say that is another thing that I just admire about working here is that, yeah, it seems like we have so many great relationships with all these community partners and just the fact that we do everything, you know, on a voluntary basis. It's It makes everything easy and smooth and funner, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not a word, but... <laughs> 
So we also got to talk with Vicki a little bit about the new conservation campus that is currently under construction. So what are some things that your department is looking forward to over at the new property? Are you going to have any demonstration sites or anything over there? Oh, you've been peeking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe just a little bit. (laughs) uh, Yes. No, really, this is an amazing endeavor and and a great vision by Vicki, our director. You know, Vicki, she's done a tremendous job. Uh, you know, you could really sum it up by saying, you know, fortune favors the bold. Uh, you know, forward looking like this, even though it was difficult and somewhat of a scary proposition, she really has made it happen, you know, step by step. And uh, talk about challenges. That she's had a few uh, with, with, the, with this new conservation campus. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this campus is going to be an amazing asset uh, to our community as it unfolds over, over the years. I believe it's going to help us set up the, the conservation district just for decades. Um, it's going to be a great legacy for conservation in, in, in our area. And I really hope that it will attract other conservation agencies to, to come join us and, and basically make us all stronger together. Uh, but until that happens, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> and, you know, our, our department, we look forward uh, to the, a great facility, which I think we have we have a nice facility now. but. Uh, it's it's going to be state-of-the-art. It's going to be amazing. Everybody's going to have room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just keep growing. Um, but uh, our, our department just, you know, plans on and helping in every aspect. Uh, if there's going to trails, landscaping, planting, uh, whatever needs to be done, you know, we're, we're there and ready to help. Uh, but one of the great things is that we're, we're going to be able to build and showcase uh, many different demonstration areas of those best management practices, such as for livestock, uh, for example. Uh, we would have a heavy use area so people understand how they're built, wh- wh- how do they work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have different types of fencing available. Uh, we could build a waste storage facility that would allow them to understand how that works. Uh, and it's going to be right there on the grounds. So uh, to have that and to be able to show the clientele as they're there visiting uh, is, is a huge uh, benefit in, instead of it, it's nice to take them out to a project but it takes it's a lot more effort to, to show them one that's that's in use um, but we, and we do that too you know we, we provide tours uh, for people to come out and take a look at these projects that are in use but it'll also be a huge benefit to have some of these right there on the grounds there at the new facility having those demonstration sites will really I think bring it to life and especially for the younger generation too because you know I don't I don't remember any of this being in, you know, my middle school education necessarily, things like that. So I think that will just help to kind of bring the momentum up and bring awareness to these projects and these practices as well. So yeah, it'll lend itself to a lot of educational events for sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, this has just been fascinating and it's it's almost just like a little peek into really what your department does. I know that we're going to have tons of information available on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. For Spokane County residents, what really can they do to help protect our water quality in Spokane, and why is it so important? Uh, well, a lot, a lot of that is just common sense, you know, <laughs> just common sense stuff, everyday stuff that they can do. You know, if you're looking at protecting drinking water, uh, you know, you don't want to put medications down the sink. Uh, you want to minimize your use of store-bought uh, cleaning supplies, uh, minimize the use of fertilizers. Uh, minimize the use of uh, uh, pesticides as well. Um, they pick up after their pet. That, that's a huge. That's mm-hmm. a huge help. <laughs> um, you know, don't put stuff down the storm drains. You know, we we have uh, a very unique situation here in Spokane with our our sole source aquifer. You don't have a lot of these throughout the United States, and it is something to protect, preserve, because without it, we're in trouble. So it, it is something that everybody and everyone should be aware of because it really is, you know, 40 to 50 f- uh, feet below us. So it, it's important. Um, you know, things that they can do, uh, they could also reduce the square feet of pavement on their, on their property, allow more water to get mm-hmm. into the ground instead of going down the drains. Um, they, uh, working with livestock operations, basically keep that clean water clean and install the BMPs, uh, the best management practices that, that will help them do that. Uh, the same thing with agricultural producers. There's uh, lots of best management practices that can be put in and implemented uh, to help them keep the, the water clean. Uh, people could do a riparian habitat project on their property. All they got to do is give us a call and we, we can help them make that happen. Uh, a, a big thing they could do is become a volunteer. 
uh, help an agency. They could help the, the Lands Council with their, their projects. They could help us with ours. Uh, the Spokane River Forum, uh, you know, even the, the, the Riverkeeper as well. That All of these people have events that uh, people can help and, and to help uh, keep our water clean and, and just make it uh, better for all of us. And I think probably the last thing they could do is, is just keep themselves informed uh, and just be a good advocate for water quality. All right. Well, so we like to do this kind of spitfire round at the end of each episode, just to give our listeners a little bit more insight of your personality, get to know you a little bit more. So are you up for it? I am. (laughs) Don't judge me on this. (laughs) (laughs) No judgment. This is a no judgment zone. Okay. First question. What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie would have to be Braveheart. Oh, yeah. Um, What's a food that you can't live without? Well, since I eat a five-egg omelet every morning, that's that's it. Got to have that. Got to get that protein in, first thing. (laughs) If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? Oh, that's easy. Glacier National Park. I I just love everything about that park. I I could live there. Hopefully I could make it through the winter, but uh, that would be a, a dream. Perfect. How many times have you visited there? Uh, only twice this year, but uh, this year. <laughs> but typically, I go at least once or twice every year, and have for the past twenty. Wow! Oh, awesome! All right, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh, that's easy. Stones. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And what would you rather have, salty or sweet snack? Definitely salty. Oh. I like it salty. Yes, I'm with you. Me too. I'm always with the salty snacks. Yeah. <laughs> you crave it. You got to yeah. have it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Walt. We won't take up any more of your time. We know that you're busy and that you have some more projects and things to get on the ground. But for those of you that may have any resource concerns that Walt just mentioned, uh, you can learn more about the Water Resources Department and all of their different programs and projects at scc.org. And again, we will be linking some of these projects and more information on our Facebook and our Instagram page as well, rockstoroots.org. But thank you so much, Walt, and thanks for being here. Hey, it was my pleasure. This was awesome. Never done one of these before. (laughs) Woo, your first one. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rocks to Roots. Please make sure to subscribe to our Rocks to Roots channel. And also, more importantly, please leave us a review. That's the only way we can get better.